transition points or places where you say, okay, I want to show up differently. I've got a promotion and I need to, I need to show up as that. I am a woman of color and I'm the first person in this role in my company. And I need to show up because I need to take up space because I need to bring other people in here with me. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, my intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. It's your gal, Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent and our season centered around navigating change. Specifically, we're looking about how we navigate change in such a way that it supports our career, our health, and our relationships. Now, we live in a world that puts a lot of value on selfless acts especially people who are in marginalized communities or are the go-to caretakers for everyone. And when we find ourselves in the middle of change and maybe our fight or flight or fright response is amped up, finding a way to care for ourselves can feel like an extra burden we just don't have time for. But let me be clear. My clients who do well, who foster resiliency and forge new paths forward, understand that what we don't do for ourselves comes at a cost. And if we're not getting pockets of rest or proper nourishment at lunchtime, those deprivation of needs, they start to add up. And maybe it shows up as being unable to focus at work. And that overflow means that now you have to work late. So now you've got to cancel dinner plans with your friend and weeks go by without you remembering to reschedule or just feeling guilty every time you think about it, which just results in all sorts of hurt feelings. In other words, sacrificing yourself can actually be burdensome to other people. And making time for self-full care is an act of generosity towards yourself and to the most important people in your life. And when I say a phrase like being self-full, we did an entire episode on that. This is the middle ground between being selfless and being selfish. There's episode 17. You can go back and listen to that anytime. It was about how to get what you need without being selfish. I'll put a link to it right here in the show notes. But bolstering our self-image is perhaps one of the most fun and creative segues into the realm of self-full care. And maybe you didn't grow up with this, but somehow I picked up a notion that caring about my appearance was shallow or vain, and that I should be confident in who I am regardless of how I looked. But Erica's going to flip that notion on its head today. In this episode, I got to cozy up with Erica Cartledge, the founder and owner of Your Chic Is Showing. Now, Erica has this highly personalized approach to styling where she helps her clients elevate their self-image and build their confidence. And she considers herself an image architect, meaning she helps people visualize the changes going on inside to reflect the holistic process of designing something new and fresh and confident on the outside. So just a friendly heads up, if you haven't met Erica yet, you are 100% going to wonder where she's been your whole life. (laughs) So just know her website is yourchicisshowing.com. I've also got all of her contact info right here in the show notes. Personally, I love following her on Instagram. It's so real, it's so beautiful, and it's so inspiring what she shares. So specifically, you're going to hear about the emotional importance of our individual approach to self-full care and how those things hanging in our closet offer deeper revelations about the space we think we deserve to occupy in the world. And she's going to explain the real reason that we hold on the things that no longer serve us and how we can honor the person we are while still making room to move forward. Erica believes that our wardrobe is the one place where we don't give ourselves grace and why it's important to allow changes to happen 
there too. And if this is the first time that you're joining me this season, please know that there is a beautiful guidebook that goes along with this season, specifically designed to help you navigate the change you're going through right now. This is the best tools that our guests from the entire season have shared with us so that you can go deeper into the material you're hearing here on the episode. It is totally free and there's nothing for sale in there. Go get your copy via the link in the show notes here or just visit carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to download your copy. I highly recommend that you give yourself the gift of your own unique custom guide to the transitions you find yourself in. So if you're ready to extend to yourself and those around you the generosity of self-full care, then this episode is for you. What in your head or your heart wants to be heard today? That is such a thoughtful question. So thank you for asking that. I think what in my heart wants to be heard today is you are enough. I always have to tell myself that because I'm what I call a recovering perfectionist and a recovering people pleaser. So I'm constantly having to remind myself, you are enough. If you don't do another thing today, if you don't do another thing in this moment, you are enough. What you've done is enough. And I think it's also important for someone else to hear that because I imagine that your listeners maybe don't hear that often. So for me to you, you are enough. And if you get nothing else from our conversation today, get that you are enough. Okay. Reason 1,742 that I'm so thankful that you're with us here today, Erica. So as we talk about the season of navigating change, perhaps navigating graceful transitions when possible, I'm curious to rewind with you for a moment because I know you began your career in finance. And so before you got into styling and becoming really a design architect, what precipitated that transition? What had you make such a significant change there? Yeah, so I started in finance and it's really funny. So I have a background in marketing and sales, but I got into the finance industry. This is petty on some level, just to prove to people I could do it, right? Mm -hmm. So people, sometimes they say, oh, like marketing, that's frou-frou and fluffy and not all that hardcore and serious. So when I was in college, I took hardcore serious finance internships. Like I interned in investment banking. They say investment banking with a capital I, capital B, pulling the all-nighters, building the models. I'm allowed to say it now. I had to sign an NDA all those years ago. But the serious XM merger, I was like the first person to start building the models behind that. But I really got into it to just, I can do this. Like you're saying I can't, but Huh, I can look and I did and I crushed it and I killed it, right? <laughs> Which maybe not the best motivator, but that's what did it for me. And so I had a 12 or 13 year career in different aspects of um the finance industry. So some marketing, doing like client engagement, doing financial sales to high net worth individuals and families and to nonprofits. So, you know, people that like if you didn't have $10 million to play with, we weren't even talking to you, right? Which is great. And I liked it. And there's some aspects of that that translate into styling people and being able to sell as a business owner. But as my life changed, it wasn't conducive to the life that I was building anymore. I you know, went from being on the road. If there's 30 days in a month, there were some months I traveled 25, 26, 27 days out of the month. And when you get married and I was coming into a blended family, so I was, you know, instant mom when I got married, I was like, I cannot be away from our kids like that. I remember the first summer that our kids were with us, I was working in Philadelphia and living in Baltimore. And so I would get up at like 4.30 in the morning to be on a 5.30 a.m. train just so I could leave Philadelphia at four to get home at 5.30 so I could actually like see our kids when they were awake because they would be asleep when I left. And if I caught a train any later than that, I'd see them for an hour before it was bath time and time to get ready to go to bed. And I just was like, this is not sustainable for the life that I'm living. So I need to transition out of that and make some changes. and. That is really what 
has pushed me into my business and growing it and wanting to be an example and leave a legacy for our kids. But I just was like, this is not working anymore. Wow. Okay. So there, there came a moment where you were able to consciously say, this isn't working anymore. Did you have to summon the courage to make the shift? Were you already, were you fed up enough that it didn't matter and you were going to cut your ties? Like what allowed you to make the shift? I think that's my curiosity. So, you know, it's time to make a change, but what allowed that change to become possible? So in the past or generally, I have been the kind of person where I'll know that it's time to make a shift, but sometimes the change will be so scary. I will like stick it out until the bitter end. And by Mm -hmm. then you're like stressed out. My hair would be falling. Like it would just be bad. And I was like, I have to make a change before I get to that point because I can't, I don't want to be the worst version of myself. And I think part of it was when I was single, it was just me. And if I was the worst version of myself, like who cared because it didn't affect anybody. Right. Like it affected me. Right. Right. But, but as a people pleaser and a recovering perfectionist, you're like, okay, I can push through it. I'll put on the front, I'll put on the facade and yeah, it's affecting me, but nobody really knows. But when you decide to spend your life with someone, you have children who didn't ask to be here, but are now here. The worst version of myself doesn't just affect me. And I was like, I know that I can't get to that point because not only will it affect them, but then people that love you feel like, okay, I have to pull you out of this. I have to bear this. And it's not theirs to bear, right? And it's not because you're pushing it on them. It's because they love you and they want you to be the best version of you. And so then, and I just was like, I'm not willing to put that on everyone around me. So, okay, I can stay in finance. And what I decided to do was take a different job that took a significant pay cut. And I was like, but I have to make this up. And so started really sitting down and saying, okay, how can I be more serious and intentional about this business that I was dabbling in on the side, but get really serious about it. And then the pandemic forced me to be home and to really get serious about it. And so now here we are on the other end of that And um, it feels crazy to say I scaled and grew in a global pandemic, but that's exactly what happened. So you said something really powerful there. Let me see if I'm getting this right, because I'm going to paraphrase. But part of what I thought I was picking up was you saying that you recognized that if you were the cook to the crisp version of yourself, if you waited until it was a dire situation, that that would have been burdensome to other people, that you sacrificing yourself was actually going to be harmful for other people. You doing so much. Cause I, and I think that's really important to highlight because I think there's an, an, a counterintuitive message about that. You know, I think we get a lot of programming about give it all away, take care of others. And that, that as if that's generous, as if self-sacrifice is generous. And I think you're helping to really flip that on its head. This idea that, well, if I am the most fatigued version of myself, not only is that not good for me, but it's also not good for anybody else, they're going to pick up on that. They're going to feel like they have to manage or help with that. And you said it was my responsibility. It was my responsibility to find a way of working that was more sustainable or or made more sense for what was going to be what you were welcoming in. Right. Right? This new new version of living. Exactly. Wow. So there it is. The generosity in self-care. Yes. That's exactly it. That's it. And this might be the title of your the episode. <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, so that's for Aaron. Aaron, if you're listening, Aaron, who does our copywriting, the generosity of self-care, right? I love that. Yes. Yeah. So now you're, you're in this field and I've had the opportunity to work with Erica. So I want to be super transparent. Erica's here because she's helped me with my styling stuff. And I'm so curious from my own experience, when I'm ready to make a change in terms of the way I'm dressing, the, the image I'm presenting to the world, it's often coinciding with an internal shift. Something is shifting internally. And I know that you're working with people when they're having weddings, engagements, maybe they're doing a photo shoot, a new job, right? Uh, Something's shifting. And so I'm so curious for you, where do you see, if do you see, is it just me who does that? (laughs) But also, do you see places where there's an internal shift matching this external desire for imaging or for styling? What's the connection there? 
So I would say 99.99999% of my clients come to me because they are at a transition point in their lives or they either they're in one. So there's a milestone birthday happening. I am three years postpartum and I realized I am still wearing nursing bras and that's not conducive to life anymore. I have just gotten a big promotion that I now need to match and look the part, or I want to get a promotion and I know what I look like is holding me back. There are people that have healing journeys internally that come and say, okay, I am healed on the inside. I need the outside to to now match how I feel on the inside. And then there are some people who they know that they need to transition. They know that they're on the cusp of the breakthrough, but they need something to be that catalyst for them. And sometimes it is their clothes and their wardrobe because when you can break free of what's holding you back there, then you start breaking free in other areas of your life. So I would say most people are either in a transition or they know something needs to change and they're like, I'm going to change this in hopes that that is a catalyst to start making other changes. And so I think what the connection is And I always tell people, I mean, you hear the thing, oh, you, when you feel good, you look good. So that's part of it. But we use our clothing and our image and how we present ourselves. It is truly a reflection of how we feel on the inside, right? And some people say, no, it's not. I don't think so. But think about people who you want to hide. So I have a client and she has this beautiful bursting personality, but growing up, people always talked about her size. So she's tall and then she was a little plus size. So people were always talking about her size and telling her, you don't deserve to take up space was basically the bottom line of what was being said to her. So now in her late thirties, early forties, she still believes she doesn't need to take up space. So how that manifests is a big personality that says, no, you're going to see me. I'm going to take up space with my personality, but I'm still going to hide in my clothes. And so everything's oversized and everything is baggy and everything is, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to physically shrink myself to not take up space, but I still want to take up space. So I'm going to have a big personality, right? And so when you start to dig into that, well, why don't you think that you can take up space? Why can people hear you and what you say with your personality, but you don't want them to see you, right? And so it's so much deeper than just let me figure out how to pull a cute outfit out of my closet And really how you show up in the world. And so these transition points are places where you say, okay, I want to show up differently. I've got a promotion and I need to, I need to show up as that. I am a woman of color and I'm the first person in this role in my company. And I need to show up because I need to take up space because I need to bring other people in here with me. Right. And so it's such a fun thing for me to do and work with clients because I say it's like, 20% 20% the clothes that are in your closet, but it's 80% what's on the inside. It's the heart work, right? And the yeah. heart work is actually the fun part. Oh my gosh. This, yes, absolutely. And I love the way you're able to give voice to the many layers that are involved in these transitions. And, you know, I don't know where I absorbed this. Maybe it was growing up in a yoga ashram where the idea was to live a, a simple life in terms of possessions, right? And to be devotional with the work that folks were doing there on a spiritual level. But somehow I adopted a belief that caring about the way I looked was superficial. And that if I was really confident, I wouldn't care about the way I looked, that it shouldn't matter. And I remember the first time I, I, was, I had to be in front of the camera for a work thing and I didn't have time and I didn't have, like, I, I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I had to be in front of the camera and I didn't want to be. <laughs> and meaning I was just tired. And so yeah. I hired you know somebody for 50 bucks to do my makeup real quick in some little shop in Miami. And I remember seeing myself in the mirror and going, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. Like I had never felt as much like myself as I did in that moment. And my brain was doing somersaults. Well, this doesn't make any sense. You've always been the same person. The way you look should have no bearing. And yet there was something that came through that helped me see another side or an additional aspect of myself. And so as you speak to this, Erica, that's what I think of. And so I'm curious for you, What are some of the interesting beliefs people show up with at the beginning in image consult? What are some of the the common beliefs that your women clients are, are bringing that you've noticed? 
So I think the first one is what I just talked about. I don't deserve to take up space. Mm. And it could be, you know, maybe you have a plus size body or a body that's outside of the norm. And so people tell you, you don't deserve to take up space or, you know, or you should just be happy you're in the room, but that's it. So I think that's a big one. I think another big one, I work with a lot of not necessarily new moms, but I would say moms whose kids are maybe five or six and they've lost themselves in the serving of motherhood, whether it's single mother, married, whatever it is. It's the like, I'm just a mom. Maybe that's the best way to say that they show up. Just, yeah, that word. And it's that just, just, right? It's that word, you know? And so they, well, I'm just a mom or I can't invest in myself because I'd rather like my kid needs soccer or this or that, right? And so it's, I'm just this, right? A lot of people show up as I'll be better when I'm 15 pounds lighter, when I dye my hair because it's not great, right? It's this future milestone that you've now attached worth and worthiness to of getting to that milestone. And so what happens is you you don't get to the milestone. So you would continue to be increasingly frustrated because you're not getting to whatever this arbitrary milestone is, right? And then you continue to attach the worth. So the more worth you attach to this future milestone, the more unworthy you feel right now here in this present day, which I think is probably why I said at the beginning, you're worthy right here, right now. And so we attach that to that. So the way that manifests in our closet is people who have clothes that are too small for them, right? Well, that's my goal dress. And so when I look at that, it motivates me to work out or to do the right thing, but it really, it doesn't. I was going to say, does that work? No, no. What, what it does is it subconsciously, you are subconsciously telling yourself over and over again, I won't be worthy until I can fit into this dress. And that's worthy of good style, worthy of the relationship, worthy of the promote, worthy of whatever the thing is. So you're not motivating yourself. You're actually demotivating yourself because you're constantly saying, you don't deserve the nice things now. You'll deserve the things when you reach that milestone. So it actually has the exact opposite effect, which is why one of the first things I do with clients who are doing a closet detox is I'm like, get rid of everything that is not the right size because you bombard yourself with these messages all day long. And if you think about it, your voice is who talks to you the most all day. And so if you are talking to yourself all day long and subconsciously saying, you're not worthy now, you're worthy later, you'd be better if you were 15 pounds lighter. You'd be better if you could be in a relationship for this long. You'd be better if you had this. You're the one talking to yourself like that all day. And so all those things in your closet just remind you of the negative things that you are saying. So get rid of them so you can stop saying those things to yourself. There it is, right? <laughs> like, cause that, like, you lead me in to my next question. But first, I've got to pause and just touch on part of what I so appreciate about you, Erica, and the way you do your work is the deep level of meaning that you attach to this process in terms of that it's about the clothes and it's also about so much in addition, right, to the clothing or the image that we're touching on sometimes deep, tender things, right? That have resided consciously or unconsciously within us. That idea of worth, I'll be worthy when I fit in these size pants, or I'll buy a nice dress when I have an event to go to. When my life gets fancier, then I'll have nice things, right? Whatever, whatever it is. And that's about so much more than the items we bring. And so I'm so curious for you because getting rid of the clothing, I was just talking to one of my girlfriends because I'm in the process of moving and, and she was saying the same thing to me. It's like, I can clean out. I cleaned out so many books yesterday I'm getting rid of, like a kitchenware stuff, no problem. When it comes to the clothes, ooh, the emotional attachments run deep yes. in there. Like it, I'm reminded of the event I wore that to, or my former fiance or my whatever, right? Like, ooh, right. right? And there's, yeah. so there are so many things in my closet that are representational. They've become items that are in devotion to a different yes. life or a different thought. And so when you say, get rid of the stuff, how? <laughs> Like, and I don't mean the whole process, but I mean, like, what's the beginning? If we're sensing an item like that, maybe we have a moment of clarity and we go, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm kicking these pants out of here. They never make me feel good. They've got to go. I'm going to donate. I'm going to give them to my best friend, whatever. Right. But how do we practically begin the process when we know something's not a fit? 
I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? That's also when the tears come. So I joke, I'm like, if you don't cry during a closet detox, I haven't done my process. You know, I haven't done my job. (laughs) But the first thing you have to do is be honest with yourself. Why am I so attached to this, right? And there are good attachments and there are bad attachments. But most of us never get honest enough with ourselves to even understand why we are attached to something, right? So, okay, you remember the event that you went to or the, the, you know, the thing that you wore that dress to? First of all, this is the age of social media. So it's probably a picture of you somewhere in the outfit. You getting rid of that piece doesn't get rid of the memory. And I think sometimes people think if I get rid of something, I'll forget about that, right? So the being honest, are you holding on to this because there is a piece of an old version of you that you are still holding on to and maybe not in the best way, right? So we can honor the person that we were before and still make room to move forward. I think our wardrobe is like the one place where we don't give ourselves grace to move forward. We think we have to hold on to something for 10 years or 15 years just because I used to wear that to work. You're not that person anymore. A pandemic hit. You're not the same person you were in March of 2020. So why do your clothes have to be the same? If you've grown up, it's okay to acknowledge and honor who you were at 25 and say, but I'm not that woman at 35. I'm not that woman at 45. And so I think that's some of it. I think there are very real attachments to certain pieces. And what I tell people is also give yourself the space. You don't have to necessarily get rid of a piece for it to not take up valuable space in your closet. And so what I mean by that is I have a shirt that I got from my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law passed away 10 days before our wedding. I don't wear the shirt It's not like something that's necessarily my style, but it was her shirt. She gave it to me. And so I'm like, I don't want to get rid of it. So I have a box that has the shirt in it. It's not taking up space in my closet. It is not because I I have a very strong belief that when you physically create room in your closet for new clothes, you create room for new life experiences, right? So the shirt isn't physically in my closet blocking the newness, but it is in somewhere safe that if I ever just, I have a moment, I want to feel close to her. I want to talk to her. I can go grab the shirt and pull it out. When my son was an infant, I mean, infants just have rough nights, right? Like they're infants, they're learning how to just function. And sometimes I would just pull out the shirt and like put it in the bassinet next to him Mm. and just say like, okay, feel some love, feel some snuggles from Nana. She's not here, but she's here. And so I'm not going to hang it in my closet and start wearing it again, but I have access to it if I need it. And I think there is a place for some of those pieces that we have like, okay, maybe this was your first big girl pantsuit that you bought. I understand that. I respect that. Doesn't need to live in your closet, but you can get under bed storage and we can fold it and put it there. And that could be a reminder of like, didn't think I could do it. And I did it. So now I'm going to do the next thing, right? But you don't have to be staring at that version of yourself every day to still get power from those pieces. But I think the first step is being honest about why something is still sitting in your closet. I mean, and I'll ask why. And then someone will say, well, I like it. Why? Well, why? And, And I'll have to ask why like six times. And then we get to the real why. Well, I like this because... It hides my stomach and I don't love my stomach because I'm three kids later. And I'm like, well, wait, so here's, that's the why. It's a body thing, not a shirt thing. And also, by the way, you just told me you had three kids, which means your body rearranged its organs three different times, grew a whole extra organ so that you could bring life into this. And you're mad at that body? Like there's something wrong here with the message. So if you can get honest about why something's in your closet, then you can make an informed decision about does it live there? Does it get stored? Or can I bless and release it? This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy, the place that motivated women come to reclaim their time, energy, and clarity, both on the spot and for the long haul. So if you're craving more authenticity or your body is telling you it is tired of being tired, or you're just so over going over loops in your mind about the next best steps for yourself, well, 
you can get free access to the Boundary Brunch recording where I share the three things that women who already have healthy, sturdy boundaries know and do. It's a game changer and it's totally free with nothing for sale in there. Visit carlyfane.com to get access and get spacious today and replace any accidental people-pleasing with peace of mind. I mean, it sounds to me like what you're inviting us to do is to get intentional. Why is this thing really here? And to dare to ask the question, even of ourselves, multiple times, to be able to say to ourselves, why is this here? But really, why is this here? You know, and as you're saying this, I'm immediately, I'll be, I'll be candid. I'm thinking of this one super cool jacket I got in March of 2020, <laughs> right? It was the, I was in New York City. It was the day before the shutdown happened. I was oh. there for work with my partner at the time, super excited for this big work event that was supposed to happen the next day. Right. And it was my birthday weekend. He got me this really cool jacket that I love. It sits in my closet because it's a super cool jacket that I never want to wear because it reminds me of him and, and the shutdown and everything that changed very quickly in our relationship when the shutdown happened. And as you say that, I realize I'm holding on to that because I'm holding on to feeling hurt by him. Like there's mm. some part of me that is still like interestingly holding on to the hurt. I felt hurt in that moment about the way our relationship ended. And, and of course, with the pandemic starting at the same time, it was, and I'm like, Oh, oh, like talk about something to unpack. Yeah. Like what's that about? You know, like an attachment to being hurt? Huh. (laughs) And you're probably not attached to being hurt. We rehearse stories, right? Especially stories we're justified in, right? So you are rightful to be hurt, right? You're justified in your hurt. But what it actually allows you to do is justify the story, right? This, Mm -hmm. This bad thing happened. And, it, and I was hurt and I, and I deserve to be hurt. And I was rightfully hurt. And that's not to take any of that away, but it also prevents you from moving forward. And so what would happen? It doesn't take away the coolness of the jacket, but what happens if you let someone else buy the jacket and you sell it and they get to wear a really cool jacket? It gets a new life released from the story that's tied to your life. And then you get to break away from the story a little bit and you don't have a constant reminder of the story. Yeah. Well, also, just as you say that, I think there's a softening because I'm going, okay, one step deeper underneath it. Okay. You're still attached to the story of the hurt. Oh my gosh. There's a part of me that needs to be held or recognized that that was hurtful. I don't think I ever let myself feel that pain because there's a freaking pandemic and I had to move suddenly and work shifted and I didn't get to process in real time. All that was going on. I had to be strong for everybody else. I'm running a company, you know, I'm doing all these things. So like your earlier invitation too, to go even deeper, it's, well, maybe there's a part of me that needs a moment of ritual or acknowledgement or cry. Like I might just need to go cry. Yes. <laughs> maybe that's what needs to happen there. Maybe it's not about the jacket. If the jacket's saying there's still something that needs to be heard or seen here. Especially in the pandemic, right? Because it was so easy in the pandemic to say, okay, this thing sucks, but my family's alive. My friends are alive. Yeah. I'm safe. I'm and so and so. It's also really hard to let yourself feel the bad things because, and it's not right. But you naturally go the. But it could be worse. It it could be worse. Yes, it could be worse. But that doesn't take away from how sucky the situation is. And two things can be true at the same time. It could be worse, but also a breakup in a pandemic and a random move that has to happen while I still feel the burden of shouldering not only my business, but other people's jobs and careers. That is sucky. <laughs> and yeah. it can be sucky at the same time. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. lot. So it's so funny because you're just reminding me how quick it is. I'll speak just for myself to go to a sense of judgment like uh, judging myself or holding on to that jacket as opposed to being like, yeah, no, you were doing a lot. And it's actually pretty miraculous how much you were doing. Kind of the yeah. version you said of, of a woman maybe who might be judging her body after giving birth or after some other physical change. It's like, well, actually, yeah. And this body's pretty miraculous. Look what it's yeah. done. Yeah, like, and exactly. look what it's done. Yeah. Well, you remind me, you know, we just did an interview with Gail Danley. She's a, a poet and a tram, a slam poet. And She said, our girlfriends are goddesses. They remind us of these things. And this is what it's like to work with somebody like Erica, right? Who's going to sit with you and remind you of these these things so that we can create a slightly different story. 
through our styling, through the way we look at our, at our image. And I understand now why you use the word image architect, because it really is a designing of something new here. That's huge. And so I'm curious for you, you know, you were giving a great example recently of kind of a candid conversation that started on Instagram, like the boxes you can order. Will you share that story with our audience? Because I think this gives a great example of the depth that's possible when we look at the way we we dress. Absolutely. So the conversation started really innocently. Someone just asked how I felt about subscription boxes and would I ever consider starting a subscription box service? And it spun into these lovely conversations with people who talked about, if you start a subscription service, this is why I would do it with you. And what the big difference is when you do a subscription box You fill out a form. There is a real person and a real stylist there, but they're kind of taking the information from the form and they're trying to curate pieces that they think you will like. And so if you like, say, I like yellow and pink, you're going to get a subscription box. It's going to have five yellow and pink pieces in there, but it can't actually be intimately familiar with you. And so you get pieces and you might say like, oh, this is cute. In the first box, you might buy everything. And then the next box, you're going to buy two things. And then After that, you're going to stop buying things because you're going to say it's repetitive. I don't know how it plays with what's in my closet now. I don't know how to incorporate this into my lifestyle. And so what it really boiled down to was people wanting to feel seen, wanting to feel heard, and wanting to feel understood. And so if you think about someone that could curate a wardrobe and curate pieces with you, but it's because they've spent time understanding who you are, what you like, what makes sense for your lifestyle, right? Because that's the other thing a subscription box can't reconcile is, okay, yeah, you might want to wear six inch stilettos, but if it's like my house, we have an 11 year old, a 12 year old and a two and a half year old who's chasing the toddler who is a runner, like a sprinter, (laughs) I can't chase him at six inch to low. Like I've got to have my sneakers on and you can't get that level of intimacy and familiarity from just filling out a form and telling people I like these colors. And so that is part of my process that people are like, how can you translate this into a subscription? So I don't have to shop for myself, but how do I get the part where you see me? And you hear me and you understand me and you understand my lifestyle and you're not just trying to make a junior version of yourself, right? And so I think that is what is so important at the bottom of this whole process that I do with everyone is making sure you feel seen and heard. And sometimes that takes iterations and versions and you're on the right track, but let's go further. I mean, I, I told, you know, my husband, I was like, I love working with Carly because she pushes me as a stylist. Some people, and I think I told you this when we first talked, I was like, you will not hurt my feelings if you're like, this is a yes, but this is a heck no girlfriend because it gets us closer to, to a resounding yes. Right. And I love working with you because you push me to go further. You push me to think out of the box even more, but it was so that you can feel seen, you can feel heard and you can feel comfortable because we talked about when you feel comfortable in what you're wearing, then you can show up authentically as yourself and you are focused on what you're supposed to be focused on, right? Because how many times have we gotten called into a meeting at the last minute asked to do something, you pull out something, you put it on, but you don't feel confident. And so instead of focusing on the meeting and the words that are supposed to be coming out of your mouth at the meeting, you're like, does this jacket look right? Oh, these pants feel a little tight. Oh my God, this button is bulging. Can they see the button? You can't even focus on what you're supposed to be focused on. And so having that partnership with someone who gets you and understands you really allows you to be good at what you're good at because you don't have to focus on what's on your body. All right. I'm over here having this alliterative moment here as you're speaking. (laughs) Tell me if I'm getting this right. But if I so far, if I had to summarize the work you do in three words, which would be totally unjust because there's no way I could do that. But I, I think you're creating space for us to pause, to get purposeful and to be in partnership, right? Partnership with a stylist, partnership with ourselves, partnership with what's the next direction I want, like what's the job I want next or what's the way I want to feel next or what is it I'm welcoming in here. But I I think, you know, you and I talked early on about panic shopping 
And when you said that phrase, I'd never heard the phrase panic shopping before. You didn't have to explain it any more than that. I was like, yep, that's what I do. Like, whatever that is, is exactly what I do. I don't shop until there's an event and then I'm freaking out. And then I buy something that's for that day or that event that I might never know how to wear again or want to wear again because it's not comfortable or it doesn't fit into my lifestyle. This level of you're asking us to pause and maybe not go rapid fast and to do a little bit of the thoughtful work around, okay, what is this really about? What really makes sense for me here? Can I go a little deeper so that at the end of this, I'm excited to put on what's in my closet or I'm enlivened I'm enlivened by it. And I'd be remiss not to tell this, this candid story. So when I was looking for a stylist, being a person who's been in many entourages, I've been around many high-end stylists. So I've watched it, you know, just as an entourage member, somebody else being styled. And I always thought that that was like for the super rich and wealthy. And that was the only way it could happen. But I knew I needed help in this department. I know it makes a big difference for me. And so A, I was delighted to find that it's approachable for everyday rock stars, right? So yes, that's yes. one myth I want to dissolve. So as I'm shopping around for a stylist, I looked out for a few people. I reached out to a few different people before I found Erica. And I knew I wanted to work with Erica. And I said, hey, you know, let's, can we connect? And she said, great. And she suggested a date like three weeks or, or a month down the road, whatever it was. That was her first availability. And, and I had something coming up sooner. And she said, oh, you know, unfortunately, that's my first availability. Let me know if you'd still like to work with me then. And I remember in that moment going, this woman has boundaries. This woman is only going to schedule me during a time where she's really going to be present. And I knew that that made me want to work with you even more because I thought I'm not going to get some like super cooked, running around, not able to focus person, which was my experience with a few other people who are willing to squeeze me in sooner. And sometimes you get lucky and somebody's calendar's open and it's just a match like that can happen. But it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait to do this thoughtfully. And to be in partnership with somebody who is going to fully show up. And so that way it can be excruciating, I think, for a lot of us who have been taught that faster is how we demonstrate our worth or faster is how we demonstrate our commitment. That if we're not willing to go the hardest, that maybe we're not really in it. You know, you flip the so many scripts around that, that like, I'm so in it that let's do this at a time where there's not as much panic right? There's not as much panic. Oh, so for anybody listening, will you describe what panic shopping is? What is this panic yes. shopping? Or what do you think it's really about too? <laughs> now that's the loaded question. <laughs> right. Um, but let me describe panic shopping to you. So panic shopping is, I've just been invited to receive an award at XYZ event. And so I go out and I'm in a frenzy because now I have to go buy something to wear to this event. And so you go and you buy something and it, it may or may not be something you love. It's probably not something you love, but you're like, this will work. This will do. You go, you buy the full outfit, shoes, whatever you wear it. And then it sits in the back of your closet. And you don't ever think about your wardrobe. I mean, you get dressed day to day, but you don't think thoughtfully about your wardrobe. Then you get invited to another thing. So what do you do? You go, you buy it, you get one outfit for this one thing, and then you hang it up and you put it in the back of your closet. And so it creates this cycle of waiting until the last minute and then being totally rushed and panicked. So you can't actually think thoughtfully about either what is already in your closet or what is going to make your heart sing. Cause you're just like, I just need something on my body. And when I tell you people panic shop for everything, I have had mothers of brides reach out to me like three weeks before their kid's wedding. And I'm like, your child must be way more laid back than mine. Cause like we had my mother's dress made for my wedding and there's just no way in the world it would sit with me that my mom didn't have a dress like a month before our wedding. So it's that it's a photo shoot. Well, I've got a photo shoot this Saturday. Can you help me? No. And why did you just start thinking about what you're going to wear in something so important five days before, right? But we do this and we get ourselves worked up. And then, and what happens is you buy the outfit, but you can only think about wearing the outfit that one way for that one thing that you wore it, which is why you never go back and reach for it again, unless on the off chance you have something that's very, very similar to the reason that you bought the outfit. The other thing that people do, which is still a form of panic shopping, is also mindless shopping, 
which is the like, I'm just going to get this because I'll maybe I'll have an event for this or I might have a need for this. And so you go and you buy and you pick up stuff and you have a wardrobe full of clothes. But here's what happens. Then you have a specific event. You have so many clothes in your closet. You have analysis paralysis and you can't make a decision. So you know what you do? You go out and you panic shop and you buy a new outfit, even though six months ago you bought an outfit for this very occasion, but you forgot you bought it because now there's too many clothes to look through. So you end up panic shopping anyway. It's this frantic idea of I have to get the clothes for the thing, but then you never use the clothes again. And so to your point, if you pause and you're intentional about why you're adding what you're adding to your wardrobe, then you can be thoughtful about what goes into your closet. And then it's not always panic shopping, panic shopping, panic shopping. It's, oh, wait, I have this thing. I have these pants that'll work. Oh, remember when I got this blouse? Oh, I can put that together. There we go. We never actually stop and think about what we're doing. We just go into panic and produce mode. This to me is a, is a full circle moment in that when you, the very beginning, when we talked about your transition out of finance into, you know, the world of styling, it was about not waiting until there was an extreme crisis, mm-hmm. knowing, okay, hey, there's something in here that might need to shift, but I'm not going to wait until it's a crisis. And this to me feels very similar. How do I not wait until there's a crisis next time? What if you don't have an event? Now's the time to talk about style, right? Like now, if you don't have something on the horizon, it's a particularly good time, right? To be thinking about what makes sense on my body right now or moving forward. Like there, there it is, Erica. There it is. And, you know, I know for a lot of us, the addiction to the adrenaline related to last minute events is real. That way of living and working is a real thing. And on a hormonal level, we become addicted to the last minute thing. It's not just because our schedules are full, which is also a part of it, but it's also, could I be willing to sit with the discomfort of not having the right item in this moment of not just quick online shopping and like and to really slow down for a moment and be, and be thoughtful. And so thank you for modeling what that could look like. And frankly, that it's even an option. It didn't even occur to me until you worked at, you know, I worked together like, Oh, I could just not panic shop anymore. Like that's an option. I didn't know I was doing it, you know, and not to have language to describe the cycle, the roller coaster that I was putting myself on was huge. I'm curious, would you be willing to do our two-way Q&A? I would love to. I'm so so excited to hear your answers to these questions. Okay, here's the first one. If you you came with a warning label, Erica, what would it say? The first thing that pops into my mind is caution. Caution while hot or caution could be hot. Like something about hot. Here's why. I can be a little spicy when I'm amped up, right? <laughs> so I think that's that's the first thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. So when I get really excited about working with someone or really like digging into the hard work, the heat rises, but it's because like, okay, I know there's the breakthrough on the other side and I have to get you to the breakthrough. So there's this like, you need to know it's going to get warm. The temperature is going to rise. It's going to get a little bit spicy, but it's to get you to the other side. It's to get you to the clarity. It's to get you to the realization. So I think that would be it. But also like, if, if I get upset, I could be spicy and hot. <laughs> so we talk about the war. We're all well aware. <laughs> Uh, but I'm so glad so you reminded me about the Beatles. Beatles. Hey, 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 Jude, the song, Hey, Jude, there's a line in there about how we play, we just make the world a little colder. And yeah. I'm so thankful yeah. for your warmth, right? Bring that to us, bring that light. Like, this is what we need. So, based on everything we've discussed so far, what's a question you have for a woman listening? What do you want to know? I want to know what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? Thank you for that, Erica. And that's an earnest question. Like, you know, we've got all of Erica's contact information here in the in the show notes. Like, let's talk about that. Bring that, you know, to her, to me, to the show. I want to hear more about what makes your heart sing too. Yeah. All right. Here's my last question for you. Okay. Even if other people disagree, what's one thing you know to be true? Oh, that's, you ask the best questions. What's one thing? Here's what I know to be true. 
we are one of one. Here's what I mean by that. You hear people say, oh, you're one in a million. You're one in a billion. No, because that would mean that there's, well, there's billions of people. So there'd be like 10 other people in the world, 20 other people, 100 other people that are like you. And that is not the case. You are one of one. I don't care what your belief system is, how you believe we got here. The fact of the matter is however you believe that you were created, there's not a single person made up with the gifts, the talents, the ideas, the thoughts, the personality traits, the unique combination that make you you. And if you think about all of the billions of people in this world, your creator, again, however you define that, thought the world needed one of you. Okay, I gave you something in the beginning, but also take this from the conversation. You are one of one. You are so important. What you do, what you bring into the world is so important. You had to be here. You were purposefully created to be here on the earth, on this time, on this day, in this moment, in the eternity of everything. You are one of one. And I don't want you to ever, ever, ever forget that. That's what I know to be true. Mm, Erica, may this be the beginning of the conversation. There is so much more more here. Thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. So I'm curious if you saw what I was talking about in there when I said that Erica really flips the notion about looking at the way we dress or style ourselves or interact with the world externally as something shallow or not that important. Because clearly this woman and the work she does is transformational on the deepest of levels. So I encourage you, if you haven't already, download the guidebook that goes along with this season and take just a couple minutes to jot down your immediate takeaways while they're still fresh in your mind. The link to that is in the show notes, but don't just keep those thoughts to yourself. Bring them over to our community. Tell me in a review on iTunes, what is one word or thought or phrase from today's episode that you don't want to forget? Or share that with me or Erica on social media. All of our contact info is in the show notes. Your words matter, and we would love to be in conversation with you. And stay tuned. Because this conversation dovetails into next week's episodes where Emily Pritchard, she's the CEO of The Socialites and a creative visionary, joins us. Now, over the past decade, Emily has disrupted the public's perceived notions of her industry. And she joins us to talk about the power of not going it alone and how to create an ecosystem that supports the phase of growth you or your company or both are in right now. And between now and then, remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. And one way to work healthier, not harder, is to consider the elements of your identity that light up the room when you dare to highlight them. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.